Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Bulls Beat Podcast Show, the Chicago Bulls Podcast. Welcome back to the Bulls Beat Bulls fans. Doug Tonis here with you discussing our Chicago Bulls and the Bulls had a scrimmage. I'm sure you've seen it by now. If you're listening to this podcast in the middle of the NBA offseason, you probably spent some time looking at the Bulls' uh, scrimmage. But if not, it's up on uh, Bulls.com. You can go take a look. They played a few games to 7, 1 to 11. And we got to see at least a little bit of a look. It's kind of funny when you think about it because the scrimmage is actually based on the 2019-20 season. Uh, You feel like it's like preseason, but it's not. Like, this should be preseason time. We should be watching preseason games, actually, at this point in time and getting prepped for the regular season to start. But this is still actually just sort of the the time guys got to play because they weren't in the bubble. And so it's funny. This is actually kind of a little part of that old season. But we at least got to see some Bulls action. Everyone outside of Chris Dunn was there, and it makes sense. Chris Dunn's a free agent. Of course he's not going to play organized team ball on the team that doesn't have him under contract just because he's a restricted free agent, potentially, if the Bulls make him a qualifying offer, which I expect that they will. Uh, so, yeah, it makes sense that Chris Dunn's not there. So no one should take anything negative around that, around Dunn. But we did get to see the other guys. And you know what? Everyone looked really outstanding, truly outstanding. So outstanding, in fact, that someone who's a little cynical might look at this scrimmage and say, did they just tape 50 games and pick the best three and then play those three for Stacy and Adam and then have them uh, commentate on the three that were there? I mean, the Bulls shot almost 100% from the three-point line. It was ridiculous how, how well they were shooting and these games were over so fast because everyone was scoring. It was like all dunks and threes and, you know, almost everything was going in. But it was still fun to watch it get a little bit excited. Lowry was three or four. You know, kind of funny moment when they talk about Lowry in the post and he tries to back down Zach Levine and gets stripped right away and, yeah, Zach, I think, in that possession went back and maybe hit a three. So nothing nothing too exciting, but it was a little bit fun just to watch some Bulls basketball for a little bit. And, you know, we can make all of our comments about how athletic everyone looks and how much better everyone is, but I don't think there's really a whole lot to take. Everyone who played in it probably looked really good for the most part, honestly. But, again, I, I wonder seriously whether they just taped a bunch of these and then played the best three ones for you. Clearly it was not live. I mean, they were producing clips of it you know, days in advance and putting them on Twitter. So it was clearly not a live event where you just got to see what was there and these guys performed this way uh, this one one time. So uh, outside, of, outside of that scrimmage, which, uh, again, I don't know how much you take uh, out of it. Kobe did have two game winners. So I guess we got that going for us. Uh, kind of exciting. Uh, the one thing I loved about it was just listening to Adam Amin talk. I mean, man, this guy is going to be a huge upgrade, huge upgrade. Adam Amin was outstanding. I can't wait to listen to him on Bulls games. I think the Bulls have uncovered a gem here. I'd be surprised if he doesn't get picked up to do more national work. I guess he's already doing some national work in the NFL, but I would not be surprised if this under-the-radar ingenious announcer becomes uh, a national basketball guy as well sometime in the future, and it doesn't stay with the Bulls long-term. But I I hope he does because, man, it seems like that's really going to be fantastic. Uh, I think, unfortunately for Stacey King, he's he's going to look a lot worse next to Adam than he did against Neil Funk, where Neil Funk was so bland that Stacey's uh, enthusiasm and repetition still ended up being okay. Adam just seems so knowledgeable about the game and doesn't speak in cliches and so good, so I'm, I'm really excited about that. All right, that's enough about Adam, I mean. So uh, going into the rest of the news around the Bulls, I think the interesting thing that happened is the Bulls fired all of their assistant coaches outside of Chris Fleming for the most part. And, you know, there's nothing... Nothing wrong with that. I think the one thing I noted in, on Real GM is like these guys, they weren't really very experienced assistants. 
you know, the Bulls have probably an extremely inexperienced staff. Uh, late Nate uh, Lonsner, three years with the team as an assistant, previously with the Windy City Bulls, and before that was a video coordinator. Dean Cooper, one year with the team, previously with the Windy City Bulls. Karen Stack Umlauf, two years with the team as an assistant, previously she was working in basketball ops uh, for like 18 years or something crazy. Uh, Chris Fleming, who gets to stay one year with the Bulls, five years as an assistant, previously a head coach in Germany. I think he's very well respected. Roy Rogers, one year with the Bulls, 12 years as an assistant altogether, probably well respected. So uh, of those guys, you know, they fired the first three and they, f- they fired Roy Rogers. And Chris Fleming obviously had one year with AK in Denver, and maybe that's why he gets to stay and those other guys get to go. Maybe Fleming's contract was also enough that they thought, ah, we'll keep him around. Very highly respected guy. If he gets hired away as a head coach, uh, so be it. But, you know, probably not super likely to happen. Maybe at some point in the future. But, you know, still a uh, highly regarded assistant. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with the Bulls and if they bring in new assistants. The one thing I'm hoping and and honestly not expecting is they brought in a couple player development coordinators uh, in earlier. And I was excited, you know, they're bringing in extra guys to work with the players. Hopefully these aren't <laughs> replacing these assistants. Hopefully these guys are just really player development uh, coordinators who are going to help the players uh, work on whatever they need to and just be available for them. And they're going to flesh out the staff with a greater uh, assistant coaching staff. And that, that's kind of my expectation. I think the one thing that is interesting about this, when you look at those guys and you think, man, this is some pretty inexperienced guys, kind of interesting that Boylan really had a lack of experience around him. And I guess you know, sometimes they don't want to bring in too many experienced assistants when you've got an inexperienced head coach because maybe you figure there's going to be a power play or something stupid. I think that's a terrible idea. You know, a guy who's going to be a stretch to be a head coach and is kind of trying to make a growth in his career. And, you know, Boylan had a long uh, tenure as an assistant, and I think he was a viable assistant to head coaching type candidate. It didn't work out, clearly, but I mean, it wasn't like crazy when you hired him to think that this guy might work out. But to surround him with these guys who you know just have very little experience seemed like maybe that was also a mistake and maybe he needed a little bit more experience around him you know as he was trying to make a, a jump in his own career that maybe he needed to give him a little bit better staff and they didn't do that so now with Billy Donovan who I think we all agree is is a strong head coach strong proven head coach already uh, it'll be interesting to see what kind of staff Billy Donovan brings in and what type of people he he puts around him uh, so we'll see what the Bulls do uh, in that perspective. Lots of draft talk recently. There was an article in NBC uh, Chicago with uh, Tom Haberstroh saying the Bulls might trade up you know, to number one or number two and that the Warriors and Timberwolves are trying to trade down and he thinks either them or Charlotte will trade up. Uh, and he, this wasn't a source thing. This was just his speculation. But Tom Haberstroh has been around the, the NBA a long time and is a, is a credible guy. And, uh, and I'd, I'd say it would be interesting. I think this is absolutely a buyer's uh, draft if you want to trade up in this draft. If you want someone specific in this draft, I don't think it's going to be too hard to get that guy, almost kind of no matter who he is. I mean, I don't think the cost even to move up to number one in this draft will be that high because the salary range for the number one pick is so high. Like The salary range starts at like $8.5 million a year, goes up to near $10 million a year. I mean, like if you look at it, like there's a pretty good chance that the guy you draft is actually not going to be worth $10 million a year. Like. They could actually be a bad contract on your cap uh, if you're not really confident in this guy. And, and this is a draft where like, you might not be that confident. I think salary will actually play an absolute role in some of these trades and, and the reason why it might not be so expensive to trade up. There's going to be teams like sitting there, and if you're the Bulls at four, and a lot of people say this is a three-deep draft and the Bulls aren't, aren't going to get one of these guys. If you're the Bulls, and let's just say for, for the sake of it, you thought the next five guys were basically equivalent, uh, you know, if you've done that, 
then you're like, man, I could save like two and a half, three million dollars by trading down like four or five spots. <laughs> I mean, around, uh, per year and, and save like 10 million on the contract. Like from a cap perspective, if you don't have a strong preference for a guy, like trading down absolutely makes sense, even if you're not getting much for trading up. And I think this is a draft that, that something like that might actually legitimately be something a team considers and says like, you know what, like I actually don't know if I want a Kuro or Denny or whoever, and maybe I just trade down to and just take whoever's left and save $2 million. I mean, it would not surprise me if teams are sitting there with like so little conviction in these guys that those types of conversations actually are somewhat reasonable. And, and so certainly, I think, if you want to get someone, like if you want to trade up, I don't think the cost is going to be that high at all. I think it'll be very cheap to move up. So uh, if the Bulls want to move up, I don't think it'll cost the Kings ransom like it normally might for the number one pick. And if they want to move down, I don't expect them to get a whole lot for moving down. You know, like I think you dropped like two, three picks. You might be talking about multiple second rounders. <laughs> that literally might be what you're talking about. Or maybe you send out Felicio and you take back a slightly better player who's actually a rotation player. I mean, like that, it's just not going to be much. And so I, I don't know that I would expect the Bulls to move up. I think there's some interesting ideas around if you want to move up that you could potentially do it depending on what teams want. Uh, I think if you move up, the thing is, I don't really want to move up. I, I'd see maybe you trade for a second pick. And so some of the trades being thrown out there are like throwing in Lowry to move up or throwing in Zach Levine to move up. Like I'm not giving Zach Levine and the number four to move up for LaMelo Ball. Like I'm not even convinced that LaMelo Ball will be better than who I can get it for. I'm not going to give Zach Levine as well to do this. So now if you're Golden State though, and you're sitting at number two, and I, I, I pick Golden State because Golden State really is kind of like on a win now sort of cadence with Clay and Steph and Green there. Like, I think they would be looking for guys who can give them something immediately. So say you're Golden State. Would you take Lowry plus Wendell Carter Jr. for your pick outright rather than your pick plus number four? Would you take Zach Levine for your pick outright? You know, would you take uh, Thad Young, Lowry, and Wendell for uh, Andrew Wiggins? Like, I think something like that. I don't know if it's exciting enough for Golden State. I, maybe they can get a much better win-now player than those guys. Uh, that fits their thing. But if you're Golden State, it's like, yeah, maybe if you got Wendell and you got Lowry, those are some guys that, that could work for you long-term that are young, they give you a lot of depth. You know, if you, if you did those three plus, you uh, I mean, Thad Young or Sato in there, and then you sent back Wiggins, like you've got three good players and now you had three or four depth players and, and Lowry and, and Wendell are going to be your fourth and fifth starters. And then you got Thad Young for, for bench depth or something. Like there might be something for that. Or you throw Porter in there, maybe because you still want three. I don't know. Either way, I don't know that the Bulls would be the best offer that they're going to get. Maybe they can find something much better for their pick than that. But that's the type of deal I think you'd look at. Because what this does, it signals a clear direction. And that's one of the things the Bulls really failed when they last decided they were going to rebuild when they traded Jimmy Butler. They didn't signal a clear direction. They decided, well, we're going to make this trade, but we're going to try and still be kind of good right away. And we're not going to go through this period of being really bad in this amazing 2017 draft class. And so the result was we ended up with Wendell Carter Jr. as our draft pick there. And you start thinking, like, if you had just said, well, we're going to be really bad, and you went all in on being bad, even if you made the same trade, and you were a couple spots worse, you'd be drafting, you know, potentially number two, Sacramento, who was tied with the Bulls, moved up. But if potentially number three, they were like, I think, like a half game uh, worse than Dallas and the tank records, or, or better than Dallas, I guess, depending on how you want to look at it, or maybe a game. So, like, I mean, the... Those are like opportunities if you had just been a little bit worse and you were really bad at one point that year that you could have 
you could have really made some hay in terms of getting into the top three of that draft. And maybe you could have had Luka Doncic. And then now, regardless of what happened with Jimmy Butler, if you had Luka Doncic on this team, you wouldn't be feeling like, oh man, this team was awful. I can't believe we made this trade. You'd be like, oh sweet, we got Luka Doncic for the next seven years. All right, Jimmy Butler is a great player, but it worked out okay for us. You know, so really part of that problem, and I posted about this before, was not so much that you traded Butler, it was that you didn't pick a clear direction. And so making this type of trade where, say, you trade Zach Levine or Lowry and Carter or whatever, and you pick up an extra pick, you're now making a clear direction of like, all right, yep, we're not going to try and win 40-something games this year. We are going to try and get two young players in this draft, and maybe this isn't the best draft to do it in, but we are going to get two young players, and now maybe we feel there's a good chance one of those two turns into a star and, and it works out for us. And that becomes a little bit more exciting than, you know, like, oh, we maybe trade up and now, now what? Like, I mean, like, if you guess wrong, you're really screwed and you gave up extra assets and you're going to do whatever. And if you guess right, it's like, well, you still gave up like a pretty good asset to move up there. And like, you've not maybe moved the needle that much unless you just guess right on some exceptionally high level. And so that's, that's the thing. You need to create windows you need to get like windows of opportunity. So if you get two guys in this draft, and this is like a terrible draft to do that in, but if you do get two guys in this draft and you guess right, and these guys end up being good guys, now you've got four years of cheap contracts and you can build some pieces around them. You can have some cap space. You can let them grow. You can add someone you know, new next year because maybe you'll still be bad for another year, but you'll see this growth and maybe Kobe White is going to grow. Like you create this window of uh, opportunity where you've got these young core players that can mature and do well together but you gotta, you got to try to do something like that. And you want the salaries to fit in such a way that you're going to be able to put pieces around them and make things work. And so when you look at guys like Lowry and Zach, like, yeah, they're, they're good players maybe. You know, Zach, we feel, I mean, I feel is a good player. And, and Lowry, even though I'm disappointed with last year, definitely has potential to be a good player. I think he's a starting caliber player. Yeah, and whether he's a high-end starting caliber player or an all-star player, I think that's a little less likely. But it's, it's in the realm of possibility. But the thing is, Zach's going to need to get repaid in two years and it's going to cost a lot more than he did this last time. And Lowry is going to get, need to get paid next year if he has a good year and he's a good player. And then you're going to be stuck with these guys who still aren't guys who can lead you to somewhere. And they're going to be paid a lot. and You're not going to have uh, the ability to add a lot of pieces and you're going to get maybe caught in the middle, which is where you were at Jimmy Butler. Now, I said at the time they traded Butler, the most likely scenario was that they were going to get a bunch of young guys and end up in the back in the same place after a few years of failure. And I was for the trade. I mean, I thought like it's like that's the most likely scenario is you kind of tie uh, where you were with Butler. And I, I think even if we kept Butler, we would not be where the Heat are because we did not make enough other good moves uh, to be able to improve the team. But if we still get stuck in the middle again, that's the most likely scenario. So your, your goal is to try to figure out how to get out of that. How do you get some real high-end talent in here that can get you away from this stuck-in-the-middle place? And you know, that's why trading away these guys and resetting around younger guys is, is a direction that may not work as a good chance of keeping you lousy for another few years. But it gives you that opportunity to break out of this mold of being in the middle. And so that's really what the Bulls need to try to figure out too is how do we break out of this mold of being in the middle? Do we think Zach and Lowry are good enough if we keep them and we keep rolling with what we have and will Wendell Carter Jr. come back and be good enough and is he going to be in shape and all this other stuff? Do we feel there's enough potential on this roster where we can break out of this mold with the players we have and we're going to have a Denver-like resurgence with, you know, at one point, I don't think anyone was looking at Jokic and Murray and saying like, wow, this is the core of what's going to be uh, a Western Conference powerhouse. But now you're like, yeah, this is a this is a legit second-round team. This is a good team. They took out the Clippers, and 
going into next year. I mean, you look at them as a team that's going to win upper 50s, mid 50s games. I mean, they're, they're like, if you could, the Bulls could get to that place in the East, you'd feel pretty good about that. You'd feel pretty happy about that. And so do the Bulls have a roster right now that's going to get you there? And that's really the most important thing that the front office needs to decide. If they feel they do, it's fine. Keep rolling it out. You know, resign these guys when their contracts come due and see what happens. But if you're not confident that that's the case, if you're not confident that's the case, then doing some type of trade where you trade out of these guys who you're going to have to pay soon anyway, and you try to reset around young talent, even if it makes you bad, then that's the other move. But you got to pick that direction. you got to say, are we going to roll with these guys or are we not? And if you got to make that decision on Lowry this year, because if you don't roll with them this year, or if you, if you roll with him this year and he doesn't work out well, then now you've lost your opportunity to maybe get something for him. So we'll see. That's, that's kind of a long-winded uh, approach as to how the Bulls might take the draft. I think if I am going to do something with this draft, I don't want to really trade up. I want to trade for an additional pick, and then I want to go all in. I don't want to trade up and then be like, well, now I'm kind of like halfway in the middle. I just don't feel there's enough value in trading up. On the other hand, trading back, I don't think you're going to get anything for it. If someone falls in love with a guy at four and you're not in love with him, and you can get something good by moving that pick, I'm all on board. Let's, let's move it on back. Trade me back to eight for all I care if someone is in love with someone at four, if I'm going to get an extra pick next year or something like that. So we'll see what kind of moves uh, the Bulls are able to make uh, with all of that going on next year. And, you know, that's, that'll about do it for this edition of the Bulls Beat. I've been Doug Tonus. You can reach me on Twitter, Doug underscore Tonus, on the Real GM forums as well. If you ever want to ask a question of the show, I'll be happy to answer it. And I'll talk to you guys next week.